Um, I can only imagine the range of emotions and feelings that are likely going through Pung right now. We hope that she feels that none of this is her fault and we're very proud of her. But this is something we can't walk away from. If we walk away from this, we're basically telling the world that not addressing sexual assault with the respect and seriousness it requires is okay because it's difficult to do. That's something that we simply cannot happen and it's not what we stand for as an organization. My name is Andrew, and welcome to the aftermath. Where is Peng Shui? A few months ago, you wouldn't have known who she was unless you were a fan of professional tennis. But since the beginning of November, there has been a series of events with extremely wide-reaching ramifications, and all of them can be traced back to a single social media post that she wrote. In this episode, I am joined by Wen Xingfan, a reporter for the Wall Street Journal. Together we dissect many of the events that have occurred over the past month and what it all means. Wen Xing, thank you for taking the time to come on to the McGill International Review. My pleasure. All right, so to begin, would you mind um, walking the audience through simply the very initial social media post that basically started all of this where Peng Shui accused Zhang Gaoli of sexual assault. Could you describe that social media post itself? Sure, so um, on the night of November the 2nd, a uh, post appeared on the verified account of Peng Shui's Weibo, uh, which is a micro, uh, blog platform uh, similar to Twitter. And in that post, which uh, is longer than a thousand words, I believe, she described a relationship with Zhang Gaoli, who is a former vice premier and uh, a very high level uh, Communist Party official uh, who had retired uh, a few years ago. And that relationship is very complicated. Uh, it lasted for several years uh, and it included episodes of uh, non-consensual sex behavior. Uh, in her own word, uh, Peng Shui wrote, uh, you know, she was pressured to have uh, sex with Zhang. And uh, eventually it was a relationship uh, on and off and uh, uh, with some part of it was consensual and uh, some episodes were not uh, so much, but uh, it dropped a, a bomb among the Chinese netizens because nobody had seen this kind of uh, uh, detailed accounts before involving a Chinese official of that level and coming from a celebrity. So this is uh, unprecedented. Yes, it definitely is. And there was one quote from an English translation of the social media post that sort of struck me. So I'm gonna quote it right now. Even if it is like an egg hitting a rock, or if I am like a moth drawn to the flame inviting self-destruction, I will tell the truth about you. 
So to what extent do you think this quote illustrates the imbalance of power in China when it comes to sexual assault allegations? I think you picked a um, very important one uh, of all the sentences she wrote down because uh, this is a clear illustration of her own awareness that she in her post was up against a uh, top official. And uh, in China, uh, in the context of Chinese politics and society, that means, you know, it's, it's like what she said, it's like hitting the egg against the wall. It's, uh, it's a very, very uh, unbalanced power structure, even though Kuntra herself uh, is a world champion uh, and is a sports celebrity that doesn't make her any stronger uh, when she's uh, seen up against someone like the man. All right, yeah, so obviously the ramifications of this social media post are massive, so let's start from the top. Um, what happened to the social media post in the, af like in the immediate aftermath of it being published? And what was the, like, the immediate response of the Chinese government to it? So the post disappeared after about 20 minutes, uh, probably less than 30 minutes, but uh, enough people had seen it because uh, it was on Peng Shui's account with you know, tens of thousands of followers. So people managed to uh, download the post and circulate it around outside the firewall. Um, it's unclear who deleted the post. Uh, it's likely, you know, the censors quickly saw that, uh, or it could be herself, uh, you know, regretting posted uh, in the link house. We wouldn't be able to know, but uh, it certainly became, you know, headline news uh, in the media uh, outside of China, but inside of China, uh, Nobody could mention it publicly, even though uh, many, many people are talking about it privately. So the Chinese official response initially was uh, no. Uh, they, when asked in a foreign ministry press conference, they, the spokesperson uh, said he's, he was not aware of the incident. So basically refusing to acknowledge uh, such a post or such a allegation existed, even though it was already uh, in the newspapers around the world. All right, yeah, so um, could you elaborate on the videos and photos of Shui that have been circulated online where like certain people have claimed that those videos and photos are evidence that she's doing fine now. Could you elaborate on um, those images and videos and what you think about them? Uh, sure. Uh, first of all, Shuai is her uh, first name, not last name. So Peng is her uh, surname. But uh, uh, anyway, th those videos and photos uh, appeared uh, online more than two weeks after the initial post. And it's important to acknowledge that before uh, there were videos of her and photos of her uh, showing up on the internet, uh, mostly on Twitter, uh, outside of uh, Chinese uh, firewall, uh, there were already an outcry in the international community, especially the tennis community, uh, looking for her, concerning about her safety, 
and there's a hashtag. I'm sure you're familiar. Uh, where's Peng Shui uh, circulating on Twitter? Uh, you know, reposted uh, by renowned tennis players, uh, including you know Naomi Osaka or uh, you know legendary uh, Martina or uh, Billie uh, Jean King. So everybody in the women's tennis community is asking, uh, where's Peng Shui? Why has she not spoken since, you know, her initial post disappeared? Uh, so in that backdrop, there was some responses from the Ch Chinese side uh, coming through uh, the Twitter accounts of some of the state media journalists uh, who posted a dinner photo of her and uh, later on a video of her attending a uh, sports event. The message was to show the world that she's out there, she's uh, alive, she's safe, and she's smiling, uh, and uh, things were fine. Uh, it, it, was, uh, it was designed to answer the question, where is Peng Shui, uh, which is you know, the key word circulating there. Uh, so the answer is she's in Beijing, she was at home, and uh, she's okay. But it doesn't address all those photos and uh, uh, those photos and video images don't address the other question, which is, can she speak freely? Uh, what about the allegation uh, against Zhang Gaoli on uh, sexual assault? Uh, there was no mention of that uh, from those responses, which uh, caused the international community asking more questions. Yes. Um, so the, the part where you mentioned, like the whole thing about how this doesn't address the sexual assault allegation, do you think that might play a role in why she hasn't actually appeared in public since this controversy started? It probably is a very important factor uh, why we haven't heard from her directly. Uh, because, uh, you know, given the background of Me Too uh, movement, uh, including in China, uh, this kind of allegation, um, you know, sex assault against uh, a powerful man uh, is a very sensitive subject. and. In this case, it is essentially dramatic because the character uh, in the equation is not just a professor or you know a uh, TV anchor. It is at the highest level of Communist Party's hierarchy. Uh, that means anything, any scandal or even alleged scandal around those guys are taboos. Uh, they are very difficult to talk about. They're very difficult. They're very difficult to uh, defend because you would one would need to address the uh, existence of this allegation uh, even before you know trying to say, "Hey, this is not this is not what happened." Uh, so inside of China, the uh, authorities virtually didn't say anything about the sexual uh, uh, assault allegation. Uh, so they're only so far uh, be able to address uh, Peng Shui's uh, whereabouts. Uh, 
and even outside of uh, the firewall on the Twitter world, state media journalists are doing just that and uh, wouldn't be able to take a step further and debate, you know, whether uh, the sexual assault actually happened. Yep. And um, so that helps explain one of the several reasons why this is a massive story. But another one is that um, on Wednesday, December 1st, which is the day before we record this podcast, the, the Women's Tennis Association made a decision with a lot of ramifications. So could you um, explain to the audience what that decision was and why it could be considered unexpected? So a lot of the uh, progress of the Peng Shui saga was the result of the pressure uh, from the Women's Tennis Association, which represent uh, female tennis players. So before the videos and uh, photos of Peng Shui appeared uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, it was not only the tennis players who are uh, expressing their concern about her. It was also the WTA, the representing body, uh, consistently and firmly coming out with various statement, statements pressuring the Chinese government to uh, set Peng Shui free, let her speak freely, and uh, launch an investigation on the allegation. It also even uh, threatened to pull out of China uh, if those requirements were not met. Uh, so on December 1st, the uh, association made good of its promises and uh, basically did that. It said it would no longer uh, host the WTA games in China. Uh, and that means a huge hit because it has a 10 year contract with China to uh, host for the country to host WTA finals uh, in the next decade. It's also the first time a uh, sports organization or any organization indeed, uh, or you know, a company uh, made such a direct and uh, uh, impactful decision to get out of uh, business in China simply because you know, the Chinese government uh, couldn't meet uh, some of the basic human rights related uh, requirement uh, that uh, they made. Uh, so you mentioned that this is arguably the first time that like a sports organization has uh, challenged um, the Chinese government in this sort of like protest way. Have there been previous occurrences of major sports organizations nearly protesting China's human rights violations, but then backing down later on to avoid losing revenue? Uh, the answer is no. Uh, the closest event we've seen in recent years uh, to that description uh, would be NBA, but uh, uh, it resulted in totally in the opposite way. Uh, so when uh, there was a uh, NBA manager, I think it was the Houston Rocket manager, uh, spoke something uh, that annoyed the Chinese government. Uh, there was a boycott. Uh, there was a boycott inside of China. You know, not showing NBA games. Uh, 
and eventually NBA uh, as a league to back down, uh, virtually apologized and uh, uh, in order to, uh, you know, repair the relationship with China. So it was seen as a sort of kneeling down, you know, soft approach to uh, please the Chinese authorities in order to secure that market. In the case of WTA, it was the same uh, consequence or the same, uh, you know, kind of interest evolved. Uh, it is at the, uh, it is basically sacrificing a huge market, uh, which is a growing market. I think it's uh, tennis second largest market in the world. Uh, in order to uh, make a stand for what uh, the players or the community believe to be the right thing to do, which is to protect the players' interests. Cool. Um, yeah, so would you mind explaining uh, some of the statements that the International Olympics Committee has made about Peng Shui? Sure. Uh, so the international communities had in general responded very strongly uh, on this issue, uh, citing on, you know, supporting Peng Shui, supporting an uh, investigation into uh, the sexual assault allegations represented especially by WTA. But there are some uh, differences. Uh, and the biggest one is with uh, the uh, National Olympics Committee, the IOC. Uh, because Peng Shui uh, was a Olympian, uh, three times uh, player uh, in the Olympic Games, the uh, IOC uh, felt it has to do something, you know, make some kind of uh, uh, statement to show their support to a fellow Olympians. But what they did is uh, very different from uh, the WTA, which took a hardline approach. Uh, the IOC took what is said a silent diplomacy approach. Uh, it is the only international uh, organization that were that was able to reach Mosrai in person. Uh, according to a statement the IOC sent, it managed to have a video call with Mosrai. But what's controversial is that it didn't review the details of the video call uh, and it didn't address the uh, sexual assault uh, allegation in its statement. So leaving the world audience uh, very frustrated uh, because here there's a finally there is uh, someone uh, outside of China who could reach Peng Shui but not very much uh, new information uh, has been provided. And uh, so IOC stand was seen as, you know, uh, a way to uh, support China's narrative that Peng Shui is okay uh, and turning a blind, uh, blind eye on the uh, other important issues uh, that uh, WTA and other uh, organizations and uh, people uh, raised. So beyond that, uh, United States governments and UK uh, also made statements uh, basically uh, in the same light with the WTA, you know, uh, 
expressing concern about Hongshui's safety uh, and uh, pushing China to launch an investigation. And the UN, uh, uh, the United Nations also said something uh, similar. All right, so let's let's try zooming out a little bit and let's imagine a hypothetical where I'm living in China right now, not as a journalist or as like a human rights advocate or whatever, but like, let's say that I'm an ordinary citizen living in China. So if we take the, a look at the situation that has unfolded over the past few weeks, how much of it do you think I would be able to learn and like parse if I was simply just like reading the news on the internet there in China? It's very hard to say because uh, you don't know how many people in China uh, have access to the information outside the Great Firewall, which is, you know, the uh, wall built around the Chinese internet. Uh, one would have to assume that most people don't know, and uh, that is, you know, to the credit of uh, China's uh, censorship technology, uh, it is the containment that Chinese authority wants to, uh, wants to reach uh, with the design of uh, Great Firewall and other mechanisms. So, you know, most Chinese people wouldn't know because uh, you can barely read it uh, on the Chinese internet. Uh, if you search Pushra's uh, name uh, online, uh, it came back with a lot of uh, blankets. Her name is not searchable. Her account is still there. If you know him, you can still find her, but you won't see uh, uh, virtually uh, any mentions of her incident. So in general, this news don't, this news doesn't exist in China. Uh, if you're talking about, you know, the whole population, but it, uh, spread out here and there, especially among people who uh, have access to the information outside of uh, the firewall or on Twitter. Okay. Wen um, Xingfan, thank you so much for taking the time to come onto the podcast. No problem. It's my pleasure. Thank you for listening. If you like the episode, make sure to follow us on Spotify, Podbean, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Until next time, goodbye.